Mind that which is eternal, which gathers your hearts together up to the Lord, and lets you see that ye are written in one another's heart. Welcome, everyone. Well, this is our very first session of a Greek Bible study. We will be doing this weekly on Mondays for about an hour at 7.30 Eastern Time. That's 4.30 here in California where I am, which is three hours earlier. Uh, we will begin our Bible study with reading the Gospel according to Mark. And I hope to pay attention to what the Greek says, specifically focusing on certain words that are very important uh, in the text and may not be that apparent in the English. We will go along at a somewhat varied pace depending on what it is we are specifically reading. Uh, we're not in a rush. We might not get through much uh, in one session and then in another session we might. And I will try to give a traditional and conservative Quaker perspective to our reading. Uh, this is not an academic discussion, but some scholarly views will be presented as well. I don't have a seminary or theological school education, so I, I'm not speaking from that perspective. Uh, just to say something about my own background, I originally majored in college in the classical languages of ancient Greek and Latin, and then I switched to Slavic languages and eventually went on to get a master's degree in uh, well, as, as well as Slavic languages in speech pathology. And I primarily worked as a speech pathologist throughout my life. I also have graduate courses in linguistics. So that is basically my background. Um, I'm going to be speaking, I won't be using plain language because if these are put on podcasts and meant for others who are not familiar with uh, plain language, I don't want to confuse them. Uh, as I was saying, eventually these will be put on podcasts. There will also be another series that will be beginning probably in a few weeks where we will be discussing on a, on a separate day in a separate series various spiritual concepts such as baptism and what they have meant to early friends, traditional friends, and conservative friends. And hopefully that should get started in a few weeks. I'm thinking most likely it would be on a Wednesday evening at the same time, you know, Eastern time, 7.30. Um, just a comment regarding Bibles. I will be primarily reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Um, that uh, version, along with the earlier Revised Standard Version, most English-speaking scholars think to be the best uh, easily available translation in English. There will be other Bibles I will be using at times in terms of their translations, perhaps the Amplified Bible, of course the King James Version, the New King James Version, and others. 
There might be times when I'll also use a translation from the 1700s of the Bible by a Quaker named Anthony Perver. Okay, any, any questions, comments? Okay, um, I, I do uh, encourage this to be interactive. If you have questions or concerns, uh, please uh, feel free to, to state them, all right? Um, we are going to read the gospel according to Mark. <clears throat> First thing to say is, what is a gospel? Okay, let me sh write down here the Greek word for gospel, euangelion. Now, if I break that word up, you see this, uh, let me see if I can get a spotlight here, arrow. You see this angel here? That is the root that means message or message, messenger. And L, E-U here, means good. And this is a good message or a good piece of news. This is evangelion, which means gospel. People call it the gospel of Mark, but the Greek says the gospel according to Mark. This preposition kata means according to. It's one of its meanings. It's the gospel, the good news about Jesus as he understood it. So you have the gospel according to Luke, a gospel according to Mark, according to John. There were many, many gospels written in, those, in that first century, first couple of centuries. And these were considered to be the canonical gospels, these four. And canonical is a Greek, goes to a Greek word kanon, which is the word for read. And reed, a reed was used like a yardstick. And so this is kind of like a yardstick that you would measure other understandings of Jesus according to. So this is why it's according to Mark or John. And so it's a yardstick that you measure all the other writings that were floating around, whether they were good or bad. So that's why these are called the canonical, the, the yardstick gospels. Um, all right, who wrote this gospel? Oh, even the word gospel goes back to an old English word, godspell, um, in old English, uh, gee. And that's the old English word for gospel. Um, well, who wrote this good news, this gospel? Uh, um, <clears throat> we call it the gospel according to Mark, and... Mark was probably the young man at the arrest of Jesus who ran away and had his clothes stripped from him as he ran away. He was probably, you know, grabbed by a, uh, one of the Roman soldiers there. And his full name would, is known as John Mark. And John Mark's mother, she, he was the son of Mary, Mary of Jerusalem, a name in the Gospels. It was probably at her house that the Last Supper took place. John Mark was a cousin of Barnabas, as you'll read about him in Acts and elsewhere. And he was, according to um, what others have said later on in the history of Christianity, the interpreter or the translator for 
the Apostle Peter. What that means to me is that probably Peter did not speak Greek. Uh, all of the New Testament was written in what is called Koine Greek, Hellenistic Greek. After Philip of Macedon, a Greek, conquered a lot of the Mideast, Greek became sort of the lingua franca, the international language of, of the Mediterranean world and the Mideast. It's very similar to how English in the last century has become the international language of the world. Well, this was true of Greek at that time. So, what is this gospel of Mark? It appears to be, according to what has been written in early centuries, the memories of Peter as recalled by Mark himself, along with other material, oral or written, that Mark had at his disposal. It was probably written sometime just before 70 AD. <clears throat> that was the, when the first Jewish war took place and the temple was destroyed. Uh, most scholars think it was written sometime, say, between 65 and 70 AD. Some think perhaps earlier. Where was it written? Again, most likely it appears it was written in Rome. Uh, that's what most scholars believe, that it was written in Rome, either while Peter was still alive or after his death. Some others think that it may have been written in Egypt. The question to whom it was written, I'm not clear on myself, but uh, there are indications in the gospel itself that uh, some translations are given there for people who do not speak Hebrew, that is Aramaic. So we're talking about a mixture of Jewish and Gentile Christians, probably in Rome. Okay, just a few more, a couple more comments, and then we'll get to the text itself. <clears throat> um, so Mark appears to be the oldest of all the canonical Gospels. It's one of the three Gospels that are called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they're called synoptic, optic meaning, a synoptic meaning being seen together. They all seem very similar. In actuality, in actuality, it appears that Mark uh, was the earliest of the three and that Matthew and Luke borrowed and used it as a base, basis for their Gospels, adding other material to them as well. Um, it is the shortest of all the Gospels we have. And it focuses on Jesus as Son of God. Start with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of me, ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, I mentioned the good news gospel is that word. Evangelion. And we have this name, Jesus Christ. Okay, let's get to that board again. 
I'm putting this in Latin letters and English letters, but this is the Greek word for Jesus. Jesus, and then Christos. Jesus Christos. Jesus is the Greek form of the word, of the, of the Hebrew name Joshua. That is Joshua in Greek. So that it is both G Jesus's first name, his name was Joshua, Jesus. And we get our Jesus from that. It becomes the Latin Jesus. Christos is not a name. This is not a name. It is a title as well as a concept. Christos is actually an adjective and it comes from a verb, creo. And creo means to anoint, that is to, to pour or to place something, put something on something else, like an ointment or rub something in or pour something on. And so it means anointed. Jesus is the anointed one. And this is important because the understanding here is anointed with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, Joshua, is anointed, the anointed one with the Holy Spirit. And only special, and to be anointed meant to have a special function in the understanding of the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew people. Uh, kings were anointed. Um, so that this is the understanding. And then, of course, uh, I think I'll leave it at that. So, you know, in actuality, if we were doing this correctly, we would put in a uh, comma here whenever we see that. Of course, many times in the Bible, you'll see Christos Jesus, Christ Jesus, you know, the anointed Jesus or Jesus anointed with the Holy Spirit. Either way. So, and the next phrase is interesting. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What we have with some manuscripts is that this expression does not occur in them. It was probably added because it just felt right to add Son of God to this very, in this very title page, this, this first verse of this gospel. So perhaps in a, the more original uh, manuscripts, there was no Son of God. The word for Son is, so this is Son of the God, son of God. And the word for son, a son is different than a prophet. If you know the word prophet in, in Greek is this, this root right here means speak or talk. And the prefix pro means for. So this is a person who speaks for another one. A prophet is someone who speaks for God. And that's what the basic meaning of this word is. It's not someone who only predicts the future. He's really a spokesperson for God. That's the basic understanding of that word. And that's the word prophet. The word son, if you go and look at Hebrews chapter 1, the very first verse, it says, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son. A son 
is on a much greater rank or level than a prophet. Someone who is prophesying, a prophet, has a certain function, but a son is much closer to God. It's, he's not only a prophet, but something much higher. And that's what is being said here in that very first verse of Hebrews 1.1. Uh, I have a question. Um, mm -hmm. You're saying that a son is at a higher level than a prophet. Um, yes. It, just Christ as son? Or, I mean, was this the first relevant son? As far as I know, this is the first use of this. But of course, you have to understand in, a, in the type of society that um, Hebrew society was at that time, a son ranked much higher than, say, a daughter. Right, but there were, were uh, I'm, I'm wondering, like, if Jews before Jesus um, was physically present, um, a son would be high, higher, somebody's son would not be higher than some local prophet it's just because it's oh no 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 this is, but but i would think if there were some person who if i were a man and i sent one of my servants out to tell somebody to speak on my behalf he would be speaking for me but again that person would be not as high in my hierarchy of my family as my son would be yeah is there a story that jesus tells about that you know, he first sends out servants and they do horrible things to the servants and then he sends out the son. Yes. And that's, again, saying something very much about Jesus. Uh, and I, I just want to say something here, too. If you look at translations, uh, unfortunately, sometimes they'll translate son as child. And there's a difference between child and son. It's, um, it gets a bit more complex than that because there are more than one word for child and there is a word for child that uh, uh, is used for Jesus. Um, so, but uh, uh, I, I'm, I, I won't go into this now. We may get to it later on in one of the, uh, when we read on further. So, okay. Any questions, uh, any further questions on that? Well, what would what would the um, what what would the Jews at that time be thinking when um, Jesus said that he was the son, rather than I mean he was went around saying he was the son rather than saying that he was a prophet. Well, Jesus is always saying he's the son of man. Man, kind of a euphemism, right? And that would be uh... so. John the Baptist would have been a, a prophet, but. Christ was the son. Okay. Okay. So this is son of man. Now, this is the word, you know, the uh, English word anthropology. Well, anthropos in Greek means man, a human being, a human. So Jesus is saying he is the son of man here. It, it's important to know, though, that the Hebrew word for man is this word. Adam. Jesus is saying he is a son of Adam, a son of mankind. You follow what I'm saying? Yes. Okay. So, uh, 
And he's referring to himself that way rather than saying I in many instances. He just says, you know, the son of man does or is or wants, that sort of thing. But um, that's what we have here. Son of man, son of Adam, son of mankind. Well, if he went around saying that the son of man wanted various things and man equals Adam, then wouldn't he be saying that people in general want something? Or is that not? Repeat that. Okay. You said that Jesus went around saying the son of man, speaking of himself in the third person, um, has some particular views. But the word for man is Adam. Uh, so is he make, when he makes claims about himself in that way, is he making claims just about himself or is he making claims about humans in general? Well, what I can say is that it seems that other Christians, I mean, early Christians never called him, you know, use that term for him. They would say, you know, many things, Christ, uh, son of God. But uh, this was just something that Jesus used for himself. Uh, you know, I, I've, I can't say anything further than that. Um, and in that uh, uh, quotation from uh, the prophets, I have in my translation, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. Well, again, this is the word for messenger. Angelos, and that's what we get our English word angel from, a messenger. Someone who carries a message. In the next verse, in verse 3, we have there, <clears throat> prepare the way of the Lord. This is an important word, Lord. Kurios. Kurios has more than one meaning. Kurios, the basic meaning is an owner someone who owns something. It also means master, like a, mas a slave master, an owner, a master, something, you know, owner of a house, owner of a slave. Um, this is the title, this is the name that is given to God in the Old Testament when it's translated into Greek, kurios. He is the owner, he is the Lord, Lord God. The other meaning of this word in Greek of this time, as well as in modern Greek, is it's a polite way of addressing someone, like saying Mr. or Sir. But this is the name that was given to the title, also given to the Roman emperor. He was Kurios. He was owner. He owned the empire. God, God the Father is owner of the universe, of heaven and earth, of everything that exists. Caesar considered himself as Curios also in terms of owner of the Roman Empire. A Christian, once he became a Christian, could not say that the emperor or Caesar was Curios. Jesus was the only Curios because Jesus was given that name and was called that because of his death and God's raising him up from the dead. 
he was Lord also, as, as the Father, God the Father was Lord. If you go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. I don't want to read all the section before, but uh, we'll get to that some other time. Therefore, because of what, God, what Jesus did, be becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name, the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, is Kurios. So not only God the Father is Kurios, but Jesus is Kurios because of God's raising of him up from the dead. Is that clear? Yes. Okay. We'll get back to that Philippians section, perhaps not today, but some other time. All right, continuing here on verse 4. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is an important word, baptism. <clears throat> the Greek word for baptize is Baptizo. And the noun, baptisma, baptism. Baptizo means basically to immerse something into something, like a liquid. It's an ordinary Greek word. And baptisma is an immersion. Of course, in this particular case, John, the baptizer, the Baptist, it was immersing people into the water of Jordan, the Jordan River. And he was preaching a baptism of metanoia, repentance. Metanoia is the Greek metan. This is a very important word. I'm going to give you the verb also. The root of this word is the N-O here. And this means a frame of mind, a mindset, a consciousness. The prefix meta means something like a change in something. You're familiar with the English word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is a change in morph or a shape. Metamorphosis. Metanoia is a, a change in one's whole frame of mind, one's consciousness, one's conscience. And metanoeo here is the verb to, to have this transformation of one's mindset. So what John, was what John was doing was baptizing people in water, but he was focusing in on this transformation that was necessary. Well, I should say here, this is the word that gets translated into English as repentance. Unfortunately, a couple of hundred years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, when this was translated into Latin as penitentia, 
it, that was not a good translation. And even one of the earliest, the earliest important Latin writer, Tertullian, stated that himself. He felt that was not the correct translation. The repentance is, true repentance is much more than feeling remorse or sorrow for one's sins. It involves this absolute need for a transformation in one's whole consciousness, one's mindset. Um, it's interesting that this word repent and repentance occurs some 55 times in the New Testament. That's quite a few. And uh, most often it has this sense of this transformation that's needed in us. The first part of this transformation, friends, use the word convincement for. Convincement in the English of their time had a different meaning than it does in modern English. Convincement meant conviction, being convicted, being convicted of sin, being aware of one's sinful nature. And that was the beginning of con conversion. Of a, and a conversion to God mean, means a turning to God, a, a, a turning away from the world and turning to God. So that, that's been lost in terms of how people use the word convincement today. Of course, it, it means being persuaded or something. Well, convincement meant something much more like the original here in terms of a, a real, the first um, function of the light of Christ within us is to focus us on what's not right with us. And then it takes us out of that if we follow it and obey it to a much higher understanding and, and closer um, relationship with God. Uh, let's read on here. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the River Jordan. I just want to say that one does find here as well as elsewhere hyperbole, exaggeration. Of course, not every single person in the countryside, not every person in Jerusalem uh, went out to get baptized by John. There is baptism in Judaism. It is that of an initiation rite. And that is something that continued in early Christianity. But as friends have pointed out, that is not the, that should have fallen away, that external immersion into water, being dunked in water or sprinkled with water, or having water poured on one, um, that outward type of activity should have died down because there was something much more important. And we'll get to that in another verse here. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He, pro he proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. And this is the important verse. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Folk, 
the focus is on that inward internal psychological change that is needed. That is the immersion into the Holy Spirit. If we remember the great command at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew is go forth and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go, go out and make students of all peoples, immersing them into the name, that is, into the essence, into the basic nature of God as Father, as Son, and as Holy Spirit. Is, Henry, mm -hmm. is there any conception in Judaism before Jesus of Holy Spirit? Yes. Uh, the, the Greek, I'm sorry, the Hebrew word, whoops, is ru ruach. I think I'm spelling it right. That's spirit. I should say something about this word spirit, actually, before we go any further. Uh, <clears throat> the Greek word for spirit that is usually translated as spirit is this word, pneuma. It's basically, most often, as an ordinary Greek word, translated as wind or breath. Those are external, physical kinds of things. When it does not refer to anything in external, but something internal, something non-physical, then we translate it as spirit. What's common with all of these meanings is there's a movement here, whether it's physical air or something non-physical, that spirit of God. So in essence, it's, it's, we're talking about a current here, the holy current, the current of holiness. And the word for holy in Greek is hagios. Hagios means holy. Uh, in a Jewish understanding, it means separate from the world. It's not physical. It's not material. It's, it's God is not some physical idol made out of gold or silver or wood or stone that we're talking about something that is this, this current, this holy current, this current, uh, this invisible, uh, as the Greeks would say, agenatos, meaning uh, not born, never had a birth. That is God. God is never, was, never had a beginning. Invisible, so this invisible current of holiness, of immaterial power. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to really use, find a simple way of saying this. But when you're talking about spirit, this is the word most often used for spirit, pneuma. There are two other words that are also used for spirit. One is elion, which is the word for olive oil. Uh, or just straight oil, 
and you think of what does what does that have common with pneuma they both flow the wind moves there's a current there elion it flows and one other word that's also used for spirit is hudor is the word for water we get our english word hydro hydroelectric so hudor elion and pneuma are the words used for spirit but especially pneuma that is the one that you most often find again there's something they all flow there's all a movement an invisible or visible movement if it's actually the, the physical uh thing that's being referred there <laughs> yeah. jesus uh, had the uh, was anointed with the uh, oil of gladness elion and if you think in john i think the uh, first is it the first chapter of uh the first epistle of john um where it's, it speaks of uh water gushing out from one that is the spirit gushing out of one but of course as i say this word up here pneuma is the word that is basically used for this holy current this holy spirit um henry mm -hmm. when john the baptist um was saying that um he that john baptized with water but that jesus would baptize with the holy spirit was that a new conception for people i think so um and so that, that was sort of revolutionary for them i i would think so yeah dramatic because I, I think if you think of all the rites and rituals of Judaism at that time, it was all very outward, out, very physical, material, you know, I mean, uh, in, in all the rites and, you know, sacrificing, you know, birds and cows and bulls and goats and whatever. Um, and this, Jesus is pointing inward, pointing to what really matters is what comes out of a man, not what's on the surface. And that's a very important focus that friends took up from the very beginning. Uh, it was either William or Thomas Evans in the 19th century, a Quaker in one of his little uh, essays says, we, our religion is a spiritual religion. Quake, our Quaker, Christianity is a, a, is a religion of the spirit, not of all the various sacraments and rites and rituals and readings and whatever. It should be and is focused on the internal, the psychological, the mental, the spiritual. And that's what really distinguished friends from other religions, other Christian denominations, that is. So, well, it is um, 7.30, your time. I think maybe this is a good place to, to stop for today. Uh, and we will continue from there next week. I'm hoping, I, I don't know if I'm being too technical here or, or you know, if, the, if some of this is very interesting or not. Uh, anyone? I, I think it's fascinating. Uh, it really 
it helps it clarifies things that that um that i've been able to understand but not necessarily fit all the right words to explain so i appreciate it okay great i know coming up verses 14 and 15 are are absolutely basic uh but we'll get to that next time so yeah, and I'll be repeating a number of these things. Uh, it's kind of hard for me to know how detailed to get into this. I actually am a bit more detailed than I thought I was going to be, but uh, I just feel, well, maybe it's, maybe it's useful to someone. So. I think so, and as we move along, once you've explained these terms fully, then we can move on to other terms as we go through. Right, right. And I think, like I said, in some parts of this gospel and elsewhere, uh, we'll probably move very quickly. There won't be much new to report, but we'll right. see. We'll see. Good. You're going at a good speed because it's possible to take notes. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, okay. Well, all right. Thank you, everyone. And uh, we'll see Thank you Mary. again next, uh, next week. Okay. Thank you. Keep with them. And when they say, look here or look, there is Christ. Go not forth, for Christ is within you.